0: Uh, the microphone is here to my left and please state your name and um, keep your comments brief so that everyone has an opportunity you may um, head back to your seat once you've a- asked your question and we can go from there um also, just to let you know, this session and others can be listened to on the SACPA website, which is www.sacpa.ca. And there is also an opportunity to leave your comments and questions on the site to keep the discussion going after today. Um, I think that's just about all I have to say. So, on Shaw Cable? Oh, yes, you can see today's session on, on Shaw Cable. Um, so, with, uh, with that, I'll bring uh, Ken Allen back to the stage here, and we can get our questions going.
1: Yes, hello. Hi, I'm Bev Mendel-Atherstone. Thank you very much. That was a very interesting presentation. I can see that you put a lot of thought into that. And um, I'm an aspiring artist and also a highly politicized person. And I feel that... <laughs> that's my clack.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Thank you. <laughs> um, should I say I'm not a politicized person? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> um, I'm very interested in the whole idea of um, political art. And I think you showed us a wide variety of art. Um, I just have to say, right now at the Bowman Arts Center, the in the room right next to the office, there is an interesting uh, uh, exposition of uh, art, including one that's um, uh, ratus ratus politicus, and it shows the rat's head on mm. on uh, a political body, and kind of uh, uh, says it all about Alberta. But anyway. <laughs> 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 But aside from that, <clears throat> I love the idea of um, the political, the political, um, and the art being merged in montages and in some of our more recent um, uh, rallies we've been trying to do montages and I see Michael Cormacan's here and Michael and I and some others from the friends of Medicare did a little political montage and I just want to get your idea on this um where we had Michael lying in a bed it was sort of a collapsing lawn chair and um and then a group of us were all pulling him from different directions to show you know the problems with long-term care beds being taken away by the Alberta government and um and the media loved it. Mm-hmm. They they really loved that. So we're going to do another one on Monday. And we're going to sort of talk about how the government can't connect the dots and uh, you're all invited 11 o'clock at greg Greedick's office anyway <laughs> so i'd like to know what you think about because you talked about in the past how especially under dadaism mm-hmm. that individuals had a hard time the painter had a hard time finding the mass media well we're having a hard time finding the mass media too and so we have to do little tricks and these montages um so what do you think about that in terms of using the art as political through personal montages where we are creating the humor in our own body, sort of a corporal art political?
3: Yeah. I, I think that's a, it's a great idea. And uh, using a kind of a collage technique using yourselves is, is a, a nice one too. So with... Um, with data, you also have a number of people who would make performances as well. And so there's, there's a long history, actually, that goes way back in which you have um, people acting out situations for political effect. And the thing about that, like any good demonstration, is that it does cause a stir and it does attract attention. So certainly the montage and collage effect Um, And that technique can be utilizable in in so many different ways.
1: Hi, my name is Pat Greenlee. And at our table, we kept looking at the tree Mm -hmm. and wondering how that is political.
3: Oh, the the work on the the, the right work on side. the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't explain that uh, uh, maybe clear, clearly. Uh, I I put up that work, the uh, Friedrich painting, not because it's a political work, but because it's an example of landscape painting that emerges in the. Um, period of the 19th century, where you have also the emergence of the nation-state, and so on. Mm -hmm. So it's a a kind of an ideal painting in which to think of the landscape as not just being nature, but as being, in this case, the German landscape, or the French landscape, or the English landscape. Now, with with this work by Friedrich, it's a little difficult to see with the, the lighting like this, but there's also a person there at the bottom of the... Uh, He's a shepherd at the bottom of the tree. There's sheep out there as well. And with this tradition of landscape painting, which goes back to uh, much earlier Dutch painting, the tree also plays a role. The tree is not just a tree. Uh, Typically, the tree here is... um, it's going to be an old, weathered tree. And the uh, tree is kind of a stand-in for humanity. So whenever you see a, a tree like, like this in a painting that's centrally focused, typically it's going to have some kind of a symbolic function as well. Now with the Christian Philip Mueller, this is taking place in you know, Germanic territory, and um, I'm just thinking of this as being kind of interesting to... Put them up side by side so that it kind of reinforces the idea of the of the newer work being about landscape and also being connected in some way to that earlier tradition.
4: Hi, my Hi. name is uh, Knut Peterson. Thanks for coming, Ken. It's That's great you're stuff welcome. you're telling us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if you. Can tell us a little bit about the present uh, political landscape. Do you see any fallout from the government cutting back on funding to the arts? Aside from the daily cartoons, political cartoons making Mm -hmm. uh, mockery out of them, uh, do you see any art Art forms? Other art art. forms being uh, coming to the fore
3: on the national level? Yeah. You know, I I can't say that I do, actually. (laughs) Now, that's not to say that it's not there, but uh, perhaps some people from the SAG would be more familiar with some of that material, in fact. But uh, that's actually... You mentioned the, the political cartoon. And very often in art history and in art, we don't think of the political cartoon as being really art. It's more like journalism. But in fact, the political cartoon plays a, a very important role in uh, public discourse. And it really does, being placed on the editorial page, it really does serve to focus attention on uh, issues and problems in society. So in, in, in that case, I can't really talk about too much contemporary art in Canada that are, is directed specifically towards these government programs, but this is a, a place where, in fact, the political cartoon might be more effective than an artwork, even an artwork that's made at a higher level of achievement, just because it's employing the mass media.
4: Hi, I'm Lynn Hunter-Johnston. Hi. I have uh, one comment. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I would have liked to have seen a, a broader discussion. I'm concerned that the word art is 99% related to visual arts, mm-hmm. and there are other art forms sure. that do speak to this. And uh, for those of you planning on street performance, you want, might want to check out Bread and Butter uh, Theatre. Um, <clears throat> but the other one is... All of this has been historical. So I'd like to know about the predictive quality of the artist, the artist who foresees, sees the writing on the wall Mm -hmm. and puts art in front of us that tells us what's coming and turns out to be true.
3: Yeah, there there is the the, the idea of... I'm not sure if it was Ezra Pound who who came up with it, but the the idea of the artist being the antenna of society. So um, that's a... It's a useful idea, but also, I would say, kind of a problematic one. Um, if we're going to grant artists the role of uh, you know, fortune-tellers, then that, you know, that's, that's a problem in itself, I would say. Um, what, what I see the role of artists being in the current society is that much contemporary art will key into current issues that are already discussed in society. So if you look at um, a lot of contemporary art, also uh, his, more historical and modern art, typically the artist is not inventing new ideas. They're not inventing totally new products. What the artist does is, what, what they have a real talent in doing, is reading the different types of uh, communication and information that is already circulating. So they're, very, they're going to be very aware. And so their real role is not to anticipate what's going to happen, but rather to consider what's already happening, uh, rearrange that information, and kind of toss it back into the public sphere so that the audience then... Uh, has a kind of a formulation of ideas that are already in circulation and that they may already be thinking of themselves in perhaps a, a not a fully formed manner. So the artist takes out information that's already out there, reformulates it, sends it back, and that becomes kind of a new topic for, for discussion. However, if we're going to talk of uh, artists making work that that anticipates what's going to happen. Um, I would suggest that what we understand as anticipating is actually... Uh, they're basically anticipating the present. So I, I remember one interesting uh, comment by Marshall McLuhan, and McLuhan was uh, someone who many of you would be familiar with here, his, his writings, and... Um, People would often suggest that he was foretelling the information age and the, the computer and the internet, but he he always said that he never um, foretold anything that hadn't already happened. And so I think that's a that's a good way of th- thinking about how artists work as well.
4: Hi, my name's uh, Ian McKenna, right. and. Uh, Uh, One mystery I have is uh, one of my sons is an artist, uh, but he also is involved in science. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that that interests me about that is, is there a distinction between art and science? And if I think about Galileo, I, I think, well, actually that was both. That was science, but it also... Involved art, and it and it involved art of the kind that you said artists wouldn't do, mm-hmm. his prediction, mm. and so on. And so I wonder if, uh, if in fact it is is more uh, of, of an issue um, to to understand that art and science perhaps are are integrated in in a lot of ways uh, in, in terms of the you know the predictive purpose, if you like, what will happen mm-hmm. down mm-hmm. the road. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a, an issue that. Um, is worth uh, discussion. Yeah, sure.
3: Study. Everything is worth discussion. <laughs> so, uh, so, with uh, with art and science, it's um, if you think of Leonardo da Vinci, too, he's a great scientist and, and uh, investigator, but also a wonderful artist. And if you think back to the origins of art, in fact, um, art emerges out of Something very fundamental, which is a, a, a kind of a, a understanding of shamanism. So, the shaman in tra- traditional societies are going to be people who are both traditional healers, they're going to be uh, leaders in the community, um, they're also going to be um, uh, teachers in a way, and they make things. So, in many societies, uh, art actually does emerge out of that kind of past. In Western society, in European society, it's uh, emerging out of um, uh, religion as well. So, in the Middle Ages, art and religion are basically the same thing. Um, but you also have science. And with science, it's a little more tricky, particularly with the separation of um, of the disciplines in the, the Enlightenment period, so in the, in the 17th century. And there is also the problem of professionalism. So, with the training of artists and the training of scientists, that's been so separated now that, um, that uh, it's really difficult to see them as being all that uh, closely linked. At the same time, there are many artists who are fascinated with science. And a lot of um, the developments in modern art, especially in the late 19th century, early 20th century, these are... Developments made by artists who have a a real interest in popular science. So artists at that point, they were not university educated, but they had an interest in the popular discourse in culture about about science. And so with new understandings of of, uh, the nature of matter and of energy and so on. There are all kinds of connections there between scientific ideas and New forms of art like cubism, for example, and uh, futurism, in which you have um, representations of uh, energy and also uh, representations of of uh, things that are not whole. So they're, they're thinking of, uh, m- many of these artists would uh, make analogies between uh, people's understanding of the, the atomic structure of reality, for example, and the fragmentation of, of painting that you see early in the 20th century. There are all kinds of curious things that happen that way. With, um, with the contemporary moment, there are some artists who are dealing with science in a very interesting way. There's one fellow, his name escapes me at the moment, but... Um, He's very interested in genetic engineering. And so uh, some of his projects involve um, introducing and changing life forms, forms that are actually alive. And so that, uh, that's one way in, in which artists um, are, are kind of becoming reacquainted
5: with, with science in a way. Couldn't get your animals to be seen yet, but uh, my name is Henning Mundel, And uh, in your presentation, one thing that struck me is so many of the pieces of art that you put up there, if I would, I'm a retired scientist, I'm not an artist, Mm -hmm. I would not have been able to get at the meaning that you drew forth mm-hmm. either from third parties or from the artist of yep. what was written about mm-hmm. it i'll uh, I, I want my question i'll give a pre- another pr- little preamble mm-hmm. uh, last year in germany in hanover at the there's a big lake there Marseille, and there were statues sort of twice human size nudes male and female bronze by kolbe now, if I just saw them, to me, they would be just statues of two nudes. Mm-hmm. One of them happened to be my dad's cousin. This was made in 1939, <laughs> the woman. Uh, this was made in 1939 by George Kobe. And then I read about them that these were the embodiment of the Aryan man and woman. Mm-hmm. Now, in seeing the art, mm-hmm. how would one come up, be able to see that if there weren't concomitant propaganda Mm -hmm. to go through the mass media to explain that? Sure,
3: yeah. It's a a very good question, that one. Um, I would say that with with art, there is no direct connection between the individual and the art object. Instead, there's always a kind of a filtering of information. And um, typically, we're not aware of that information, but it's out there. Um, now, in, in order to see some of these earlier works, you might, you might think that you have to read a book or an article in, or, or, in order to understand the work. Um, but in fact, that's also quite true of earlier art, like landscape painting, like religious painting, for example. Um, if you think of, for example, um, impressionist landscape painting, this is something that almost everyone knows. Um, when we look at that, we think, well, this is a beautiful painting, um, everything is right there, it's, it's so plain and so obvious. But in fact, when it first came out, um, people thought it was outrageous, and they, they didn't understand what they were looking at. Now, the reason that, that we encounter this work as being, um, as being uh, so clear is that the tradition of Impressionism has totally saturated our culture so that when we have things like Christmas cards or calendars, um, any kind of... uh, There's all kinds of visual information that's out there that uses the vocabulary of Impressionism and of paintings like that of the group of seven and so on. So We've come to internalize all the information about these art movements so we don't have to think about it anymore. It's just kind of automatic. But we would not have been able to understand those works if not for that information. Now, in in looking at earlier work, like, for example, let's say religious painting. Um, Let's say if you look at a religious painting painting, there's all that other information. Um, like, who is this? Who are these people? Uh, what what does it all uh, mean and, and represent? So you're not just dealing with an object. You're dealing with that whole tradition. And if you're familiar with either the religion, or in this case, you're talking about this uh, these sculptures from, from the fascist era, um, you do need that information in order to understand the work. Now, you can look at the... Can look at those statues and say, wow, that looks great. But in order to have a a, a kind of a a rich experience of them, then you do need that extra information. So there are two things here. One is that for the the artwork that we understand as being easy to access and, and problematic, there is still information that informs that but we already know that information, it's part of our society, so just being alive means that we can encounter those works um, fairly directly. With other works like this fascist sculpture and other examples, then you do need to make an effort to familiarize yourself with the the information around the work. Okay, sure.
0: I think we have um, time for just one more question.
2: Uh, Peter Green, um, Ken, I'd like to thank you very much for the presentation, oh, it was very you. interesting. Mm-hmm. And my question really borders on I think the last two, uh, but the, uh, the question that comes to mind is whether or not there is some sort of convention among the art uh, circles as to the meaning of different uh, picture elements. For instance, the the one that you showed at first, which was the the death of General Wolfe, mm-hmm. and the different elements in it which you had explained, and in that in the one that that was here a oh second yeah. ago, just, would you like uh, me to go back to uh, with that with the tree? <laughs> okay. whe- uh, whether whether or not the the convention there is a convention that would be under, generally understood, and whether or not mm-hmm. specifically if the artists understood the conventions or if they simply painted. Uh, uh, pictures which they compositionally
3: liked well for an artist like uh, Benjamin West he went through a very long educational process uh, that that involved copying and so through copying earlier art he would himself be able to internalize all these different traditions so that um, in making a, a composition like this things would kind of immediately fall into place but so, so this is not just something he dreamed up. There, there's a whole tradition that comes that uh, informs it. And uh, one thing I didn't mention here, but that it's uh, it's kind of interesting, is that the figure of Wolf here, it's actually derived from uh, from an understanding of uh, images of the uh, descent from the cross, for example, and the uh, the Pietà. Uh, kind of a thing, and and so w- when you're seeing uh, when you're seeing Wolf there in this position, the viewers wouldn't maybe immediately um, understand that that's the reference, but because they're in that society, something would kind of click, and and uh, they would think, wow, Wolf has made the ultimate sacrifice but it's not a sacrifice in the uh, Christian sense, it's the sacrifice for the British Empire. And so um, he, he was probably um, quite, quite conscious of that himself. And it's, with, with uh, paintings like this, there are all kinds of references that are going to be made to earlier art. And um, when you're familiar with that whole tradition, then um, different elements within the painting will just kind of immediately call out those those associations
0: yeah. right. yeah, well thank you very much everyone and another round of applause for Ken Allen thank you. Yeah. And thank you for coming and don't forget about next week's two sessions and there is a comment box outside the door for extra comments or questions or that sort of thing so thank you a lot